Now, I think Matt Ray might remember this, but I'm going to, I'm going to read a few pertinent definitions. It smells bad right out of the shoe. Description. <laughs> Nothing good can come out of that particular idea. Example. Crapster's Harkonnen. I am not really sure of what bull you are trying to feed me at this particular moment, but it smells bad right out of the shoe. <laughs> and then, and then and then I think I think the top of the list is perhaps the number one that we might we've all we've all been through. Throw up all over. Description. Uh, Used yes. to describe the unhappiness of one party with another party's deliverables. Example. <laughs> Holy Christ. Look at this margin degradation. Paxton over and purchasing is going to throw up all over this. And I think uh I think that w- that was our introduction to the uh what, what is it? The garbage language of business. And there, <laughs> there's a there's a delightful meandering but fun little little overview of uh, current like bullshit business cover, uh, like uh, things. You know your your sync meetings. I don't think synergies appears oh. in this this article, but uh, it is. Um, you know, there's uh, there's a good little political thing that comes out of that. Basically, like all this uh, flowerful language about consciousness and uh, all the the we work type of talk and sinking and things like that is just sort of a bunch of flowery stuff to cover up that there's really nothing going on or being said. There is one interesting point made that there's this, uh, there's this message from is, is a way that's the luggage company, right? I don't know from some away CEO berating that's right. some, some customer yeah, that's service. Right. Yeah. 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 She, she's, I think it's a, she, but the, this executive is uh, berating some customer service people with a lot of, a lot of flowery language. And it starts sarcastically about, since you're so interested in career development, here's some career development tips for you. Uh, but the author does point out that if it didn't have all this flowery language, she just would have been saying, I think it was a she, they just would have been saying, uh, I'm I'm not happy with your performance. There will be consequences, which does sound a, a lot more mean than you, you need uh, the to, alternative. Like, tr- Tra- transfer these, uh, you know, 2020 folks back to uh, the Don Draper era, right? Yeah, <laughs> and be like, coffees for closers, and you know, that's uh, right. And they're like, oh, let's get our synergies in sync. And this one was my favorite way back when. Put it on the treadmill and see if it will move the needle on the Geiger counter. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I think uh, I like it. The, it's, it, it's like corporate mad libs. It reminded me though, and this is this is a question I think I think all of us ponder from time to time, uh, or or a scenario. I I was I was on a call earlier today going over a, a white paper project with someone. I wasn't going over. I was in the most delightful position. If you are going to be involved in a white paper project, what you want to be doing is just being interviewed by someone. They just call you up and you just talk with them, and then and then you're out, and they might record it. But that is. That's like being on a panel. Being on a panel is great. You just show up and you just answer questions. You don't really have to uh, do very much. But uh, it did. It did make me think. You know, in and um, I was thinking. I, I haven't written. I guess. I guess I sort of wrote some white paper thing recently. But I haven't written a white paper in a while. And and I think the last time I came up with a strategy that works. I, I'm curious if you two, when you two get involved in white papers, if you do something like this, but. I realized, you know, a white paper for a vendor is basically uh, a piece of collateral. Uh, mm-hmm. you're, you're trying to convince someone of something. And and I think what I've started to do when I write pieces of collateral is the first thing I write down is just what I'm trying to sell you and what I want you to think. And then I developed paper around that. And uh, I think I think, you know, 
you even try to fool yourself when you're making collateral that you're just trying to be, you know, vendor neutral and just sort of like be informative. But I don't know. I, I think it's good to just start with like, you know, you should uh, you should buy my Kubernetes because all the other ones suck and you well, know you need it. I, I mean, is that like a central theorem of your like they suck or I mean, a negative oh, white paper no, seems no, it, kind, of, kind of contradictory, right? That, you probably just, want to say like. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Hey, our our Kubernetes is great because of these five reasons. No, you know, I I I, I agree. It's just you know it's late in the day for me, so my, all of my <laughs> all my happiness has has burned you, up. You've gone negative. But yes, so you, you, you could to... you could say you know you should buy my Kubernetes because uh, you are interested in in a a standard way of running all of your old infrastructure that needs to be modernized, and uh, we're reliable and uh, we'll be around for a while versus other people. Whatever. I don't know. You could be talking about pencils. It doesn't really matter. Is that a one pager or two pager? Well, how long is your white paper? Well, I think it starts as a eighth pager, and that's eighth? really that's really like not eight pager. It's like an eighth of a page, and that's really oh. all that you want. But then you got to well, put all the yeah. supporting stuff around it, kind of uh, yeah. stuff to hang things around. But but yeah, your your uh, your white paper should have an elevator pitch, <laughs> <laughs> or start as an elevator pitch, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's uh i don't know white papers can be mysterious i've been reading a lot of them recently and uh oh, okay. you know you know here's 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 a, a statement to kind of just uh ease on into 2020 some white papers are good and some are not good <laughs> <laughs> wow you, you heard it here first people <laughs> oh man yeah, well do you do you have any examples of good ones, or is that just something we have to find for ourselves? Well, Matt Ray, as you know, the best white paper I ever read was, I think it might have been a uh, 2009 or 2010 uh, white paper about some transformation at Standard Bank in South Africa by a company you may know, <laughs> Chef. I remember reading through that. That's more of a case study, but whatever. Yeah. And I remember I actually got a, a physical printout at a conference once. It was uh, It was very informative. Very straightforward and an actual customer talking about things instead of, uh, you know, is it um, is it an accepted sort of like uh, truth that that um, was it was it Luke or uh, or uh, who who is the firefighter guy that goes to Burning Man? That was uh, Jesse. Jesse. Was it Luke or Jesse who who published that uh, before and after graph on the O'Reilly tech radar of like. Using old automation software versus using new software. Anyways, someone posted that graphic, and I'm pretty sure that was just made up, or it was like <laughs> one customer. And yet, uh, it is propagated over the years. Let me see the secret sauce, and then and then our friend uh, Andrew Clay Schaefer he later revisited that, uh, as I recall, and updated it. So, are, are you saying that that uh, all these DevOps uh, white papers are kind of like all the uh psychology white papers for or you know um papers where nothing's reproducible <laughs> or, or or i think i think i think to, i think we got some science here i think i think to go into the vein of that article of garbage trash stuff it is uh not so much not reproducible it is uh uniquely sourced uh i think i think is <laughs> uniquely sourced. it's it's a unique data point i don't know you know the way these graphs, I'm looking at them again, and I've used this chart many times because it illustrates a point. Uh, but like, I mean, is that is that a real chart? Is that like, it seems it seems real. 
But but I don't know if it's maybe like a theoretic sort of thing, or again, there was like one customer that they, they did it well, but, but I don't know. It, I'm not even sure. Oh, it's got it's over weeks. I, I'm describing a visual. We'll put a link to it in the show note. But there's basically this chart that shows, and this is from like 2006. 2007. That, yeah, that, that, yeah. That predates Chef. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so it basically shows there's a traditional operations, and it includes, it's a... Um, what do you call this? A stacked area chart? I find those very confusing to read because so on a stacked area chart, does the one on top include everything below it or or not? I'm probably not making any sense. Anyways, it tracks the time that's spent on upkeep, upkeep config, OS install, and hardware. And um, when you use the secret sauce of operations, it reduces config uh which dramatically increases your ability to release software or something like mm. that which um lovely chart well they figured that out in 2007 what are we still doing yeah this is a <laughs> this is a good question matt ray what are we still doing why did <laughs> why didn't it work <laughs> <laughs> it, it's just not evenly distributed yeah that's but that's i don't know Kote, you you seem like you're involved in a lot of the white papers i certainly have both been involved currently and been in a lot. Like, do you think I always come back to like, the same question I always have along? Like, do you think anyone really reads any of these? Like, like the the amount of time and effort that goes into a white paper and the the sheer amount of money. I often think to myself, it's just uh, it's just an internal deliverable that makes everyone feel good. Like, if you if you somehow attributed actual sales to it in some way, it would be such a, mo- a money losing thing that the the number would would shock people to the extent that they just would wouldn't believe it right they would just be like well you know it took us three hundred thousand dollars to write this white paper or something you know something crazy and uh it influenced like a thousand dollars of sales when it's all said and done well i i think it's it's like uh isn't there some kind of quote about you know your marketing dollar spend you know half of it is wasted you just don't know which half um, I mean, I think that's that's how most like developer relations and evangelism and outreach are. It's like nobody can pin their finger on exactly what works, right? You try to put these metrics about, you know, hey, we went to this conference, we got these leads, we talked to these people. I mean, when you know, I'm not I'm not currently in uh, like a, a community developer relations position, but when we did that, you tried you know desperately to show like how you tangentially influence some deal, you know, like, oh, we talked to those people at this conference and that's, you know, the justification for having this around. I mean, the farther you get into, you know, white papers and website collateral, it's, it's gotta be hard to tell, you know, the marketing folks, I'm sure are keeping track of the downloads, but you can't track how many people read it. I've got, you know, I've got 50 PDFs I've never read, right? Oh yeah. Uh (laughs) Sorry. But I think that's the heart of it. The heart (laughs) of um, where I'm going is like, I guess, you know, to your point, marketing attribution, very hard, very difficult. But I always just come back to, let's just say a white paper, let's just say it's five pages of like fairly dense text, right? And you kind of start there and you're like, who has the time to really read five entire pages of pretty, you know, dense text on on your specific product or solution, right? And you start there and just say, because right. like who really, because one, a lot of times the white paper is, often uh, focus, for example, on like, you know, showing a use case and kind of explaining the benefits. It's often, you know, some of them, not all of them are targeted at business buyers, right? So 
you kind of take the developer or the the technical person off the table, right? It's, it's really you know maybe you know maybe they'll glance at it, but it's probably not a piece of collateral for them. But then you'll be in these meetings where um, everyone will universally agree that the uh, executive or uh, buyers of your, of your target customers are really really busy. They don't have any time, right? Oh, They're just busy running one. their business, right? That's always the thing that's said, but. Um, but then someone in sales will say, like, you know, we really need a white paper. Like, you're going to email this person that's extremely busy, yep. you know, a five or ten page white paper. And like, I mean, do we, I mean, is there any expectation that someone's really going to sit down and read it? Like, like when you're sent a five or ten page white paper, I mean, do you read it? Yeah. Anything? And, and and so I guess where I'm going, and just to kind of loop back to the attribution, it's like I agree with you. A conference hard to figure out if it made an impact or dev relations, but you can usually just count up the people. Say like, I gave a presentation. 30 people were in the room, 100 people at the conference, whatever, right? I mean, there's some kind of at least high-level branding um, that's there, right? And there's also, you know, you can hopefully uh, occasionally actually have a contact that leads to something in Salesforce and like some kind of way to track. Like we did make a contact here. We did touch a customer. They did show up in Salesforce. There is a potential um, that, that at least influences sales. Whereas these white papers, I mean, it's most of the time it's somebody asking to email something to someone Who's like, it just seems almost impossible anyone would really spend a lot of time reading them. Well, but you're in those those pre-sales meetings and you know the, they say, Well, we'd really like to you know, what can you tell us about other banks that have done this? Or, you know, do you have anything about PCI DSS? And you're like, I've got the white paper for you, right? And, and so you need to have that sort of collateral in, in the sales because you do get asked for specific things and they want to see. I don't know if they're going to read it, but they want to see that, you know, they're not alone in their, their needs. Right. So, so when they say, you know, Hey, have you worked with somebody in this industry? You're like, yes, here's some collateral, you know, mm-hmm. and whether or not they read that collateral, I don't know, but it shows that, you know, they're not often the, 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 the wild. I mean, most enterprises, they, nobody wants to be the first. I right. mean, you know, they never, ever want to be like, oh, so has anybody else in, in retail done this? You're like, nope, you're going to be the first. And they're like, uh, no. <laughs> so I've heard that, like, I mean, not um, to come at you too too strong here, but like I've been in many meetings with this, the same exact thing is said, right? Where people, And so this is why I never really say this, but I always think that some will say just what he says, like, well, we're meeting with this retail customer and they really want to know some retail customer that's spun it before. Let me tell you what the real answer to that question is. The salesperson and the uh, sales engineer in that room, they need to know the name of that customer and be able to tell that story at that very moment, right? That's yeah. the only thing that's going to win this deal is that, right? Them having enough knowledge about the customer base to talk about a story, maybe even know the job title, if not the name of the person, right, that did it, potentially referring them to a video uh, at your latest conference. I think Chef has done many good videos where they have people on stage, right? Because like that's the only, that's the moment where the sale is like going to be, if you will, made or, or lost, right? Because like you're going to either convince that person that you know enough about their problems and have seen enough about their problems in that few minutes, right? Or you're not. And that white paper is irrelevant, right? It's just like, it's like when someone says to you, like you have a great idea and someone says, you know what would be great? Could you like write me a business case? That's just a, a polite way of saying no, right? They're like, they don't care. They're not going to do what you want. So, so I think, you know, if people like really drilled into it and said, you know what we need to do is we need to make sure that we've got one case study per vertical that not even it has a white paper 
that is are that all of our reps have memorized and we've actually taken maybe a video or something else that that anyone could see mostly the reps see themselves right to actually learn it because we know at the point of attack that's what they got to be able to set and like that's where we invest our time our money not like we don't we're not going to let the rep say hey i'm just going to send you the white paper later because that's just saying i've lost later I'm, you have to be able to say it then so that's what i've always thought like really needs to happen but of course that never actually never say that we never have that conversation eventually i just help write a white paper like kote and i hope and just <laughs> as kote said at the beginning of this i hope i'm on the end of where someone will just interview me and i don't have to like actually pound through like a couple of thousand words of text mm. oh you're going to pound it <laughs> <laughs> man i mean the, the, there's so much wasted well, you know, unknown whether or not it's wasted effort, like you're, you're going to do the work. It's just whether or not it's value. Nobody, sometimes nobody knows. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think I know the other, what the other example I would say is like, if this was so important, right. I would, this is the other approach I've always said is like, why don't we hire some formerly like trained journalists? Because one, there's a lot of journalists looking for work and two, and like literally treat the customer base as their beat, right. They need to be producing you know, whatever, a thousand words a day on something that's happening with the customers, with a website that looks more like a, a publication, right? An ongoing publication rather than like a static website. Because if this was so important, right? And we needed the latest and greatest stuff, like let's actually like, approach it like it, like our customer base is a living, breathing thing. Like why not be writing them all the time like a media company would, covering all the latest information and really focused in on that versus like, Okay, we're gonna hire somebody. They're gonna come in. We're gonna do some kind of study and, and write a you know a 10, 15 page white paper. Like there's just so much wasted effort. I mean, I, I just think it's like bullseye number one for me of like here's here's just a wasted tactic that nobody really wants to admit it's wasted. There's a yeah, lot well, going on there, Brandon. <laughs> <laughs> I've been involved in a lot of white papers. I have a lot of things to say about it. I, I have I have a lot of thoughts myself. Now, now maybe we'll make this the white paper episode. Welcome. To the white paper episode <laughs> pdfs of plenty but uh uh mm, man that's but i think i think you know i i don't everyone likes to think they're unique i i think i think i have a, a niche way of consuming white papers like i go read white papers from like an analyst perspective mostly where usually if i'm looking at a white paper uh i'm trying to figure out what the hell this company does and like how they do it and like you know what their deal is and uh, that can often be surprisingly hard to find in a white paper because as the, the things you're going over, right? Like a lot of the times I feel like most of the white papers I encounter are like, um, I don't know. It's sort of like a redundant exercise in defining the problem and the solution that a, uh, a, a thing solves. So going back to it. So recently over the, when I, in January, I spent a lot of time reading up on all sorts of things. So I, uh, uh, I went and found all the Kubernetes for executives papers I could on the internet from all the Oof. people that you would think. And, and like, you know, they're all kind of sort of the same paper. So there's that, right? Like it's, they're, they're, they're basically like the, and they're all like fine, right? Like the, you know, everyone's, every, everyone's going to be like, ah, containers are important. And then here's the, all of them really, they focus on, I think what you call the what of a thing. Like that's, that's probably when a white paper is a waste of time is if they define what the thing is, right? Like, so you'll be, uh, yeah, that's what I was about to say. Like an executive does not need the what. Yeah. 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 And, and then, and then even in the case of something of that, you know, they get on to just like, 
I don't even know what, what you do with it. But the thing that is valuable about some of that is it starts to pull away at like, well, what, what is the thing that I am buying, right? Like what is the product that you're doing and, and what are your points of it? So they're kind of interesting in that, in that case. But I think more of what you're saying, Brandon, is, is what I tend, what, what, what I think, what I think a lot of white papers come down to is like these moments in time of like sales collateral that would be handy. So that's something. It's interesting to consider. And then there's another thread you can pull on there called field enablement, which is a whole other like uh, often unseen area of stuff going on in the enterprise vendor space because, you know, it's not really it's a bunch of content that's produced in public to kind of educate salespeople about what they're doing and, and help them out. But then also, I think uh, uh, I think what, what Matt pointed out happens a lot, too, where someone is just like and I, I've encountered this a lot where they just like, do you, do you have an explanation for obscure topic that we really need covered? And, um, you know, the answer you want with some sort of three to five letter initialization of some security or policy thing is just like, yes, now can we move on? Right. And, (laughs) and, and the way you answer yes, is you send them some, you know, uh, white paper about something. So I think tactically they can be useful for like, arguing something maybe that's like when a white paper is good is when you're actually making an argument uh and not argument in a offensive way but you're trying to you're trying to convince something someone that a concept is good like i remember way back in uh even now you kind of still need to do this but like back in 2015 or so uh you would sort of have to argue with people that like continuous delivery was a good idea or that it was a good enough idea that like you should put in all the work to do it and and so there's a lot of papers written there. And then finally, I don't know, I would kind of separate out case studies a little bit from white papers. They're in the PDF world. But I think I think I think what you identified, Brandon, that whole like you why don't we just spend this effort to basically uh tell the salespeople all these conversations they should have and educate them. And so finally I think uh I think I've already said finally, but like a lot of the a lot of the efforts I see going into white papers and a lot of the uh, Kubernetes for executive things. And way back in the DevOps days, and this still happens when a new vendor enters the DevOps space, I always feel like the white paper exercise is like groups of people in that company getting really excited that now they understand what DevOps is and they want to write a paper. <laughs> and it's sort of like a book report uh, for themselves. Well, I, yeah. Yeah, I mean, there, there's, there's a lot there. But I, I think... Where you want to get to in your white paper is probably quoting like the state of DevOps reports and the impact that it has on the business. You know, you want to talk about the high performing organizations and the financial returns. And that's how you tie like, you know, CICD and, you know, containerization and Kubernetes to the audience that's you hope is reading these white papers. You yeah. know, it has to tie back to the business because if it's the what, you know, they're they're probably not going to get past the first page. So, but I think that's always an interesting way because then people often say, well, all the white papers kind of sound the same. So it's like, let's just start with the, like, because this is the classic conversation. Like we'll be in the meeting, people are like, hey, we really need to focus in on the benefits to the business, right? That's always how it starts. Let's make sure we focus in on the benefits of the business. So let's just take digital transformation, any form of it. Like, so where do you start, right? You always end up like, well, you kind of started to say the same situation, right? And this is why you get a thousand white papers that talk about Airbnb, 
Netflix, you know, the list of like companies goes on and on about, hey, there's this disruption in the industry and you need to, and the, the reason technology is important is that you don't want your business to be disrupted, right? And you just kind of like, I mean, like there must be 8,000 papers. Let's start this way, right? Mm -hmm. And it's not that I'm even picking on anyone who's done it, right? Because I've certainly started presentations that way and some of it, it's like, there's just, that's the only place you can start, right? And it's like, well, once you have so many of these papers starting the same core business benefits, right? And then at the end, you say, well, I we don't want it to make like a marketing thing or like a, an overt product pitch. So at the end, maybe you just have some loose kind of feature functionality leading back to your product. It's just like, well, you know, anyone that's really thinks this is an important topic, I mean, once they've experienced it one time, right? Once they've read it one time, it's like, they're just going to get, maybe they're doing a bake-off of five or 10 vendors. They're going to get five or 10 vendor white papers that all say the same, almost the same exact thing, right? To the point, and they often can do this at trade shows, where you can just like take the words and just move them around between the vendors. And it's like, there's really nothing to be learned there. So, mm. so I kind of come back to what I guess I said before. It's like, really, if you're in a competitive sales cycle, right, it's about demonstrating competence and winning that relationship, right? And I just thought, like, I, I guess I kind of entered this conversation, right? It's like, I just think in the end, like, the white papers are relevant to that part of it. It's just not yeah. going to help you at all. Yeah. Yeah. You know, one of the things I, 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 uh, uh, I, I like about, like, a, we, we kind of still do this about, like, some, like, pivotal marketing stuff is to a fault, we're always trying to argue some opinion. <laughs> right like like just sort of like basically say like this is the way things should be and i think uh i think i generally like those kind of white papers better you know instead of talking about how you know mark andreessen said that software is eating the world or whatever <laughs> and uh and and therefore whatnot uh like if if there's sort of like here's the way ex reality should be <laughs> like this is this is something that you should be doing I think is uh, always a more interesting white paper well, versus like, and then, and then I think those technical ones again of just like, like uh, here is how you do PCI compliance, which, and, and to me, those white papers again, are not again, but they're more um, educational, like in a genuine way of like, if you want to know how to set up, like, uh, let's see, what would be an example that's sort of like, you know, vendor neutral or whatever. Like you could say, here's, here's like 10 pages on a high level overview of how you assess your portfolio of 500 applications for what to modernize first. Right. And here's an actual criteria to go through. I mean, you're not really going to like succeed in, you know, aligning business and it in 10, 10 pages, but at least you could get a notion of doing something, but yeah, just like in general, uh, uh, probably there probably is a lot of wasted effort on, on white papers, <laughs> not, not but least you never of which. Know which. Yeah, not least of which because it's not very trackable, right? Whereas, like, I don't know, well, especially, especially with your Johnny Legions out there. Yes, those, those guys. <laughs> I, I feel I feel like a lot of the time it comes down to the stuff that we've been talking about. It's just like, uh, you know, substance. Like, ultimately, like, why is your thing better? <laughs> right? Like, like what? But what is? And and I think maybe that's also why with if it's like a like a SaaS driven business, things are in theory a little bit easier. Because like you can like get up and running with the thing quickly, right? You know, some of the many sponsors we've had over the years, you can just start using the thing. And then also like, because there's a direct click through, speaking of BS phrases, from like, you know, anything happening down to like someone actually giving you money. Like you could even have like a, a URL on a presentation of just like go here to sign up for an account. 
I don't know, maybe have an advertisement on a podcast. Uh, there, you go. there we are. <laughs> and uh, those are very trackable. And you know, you can track that stuff all the way down. Whereas like if you go up and up and up to these big enterprise software things, uh, you're always trying to start with explaining the business because it's kind of hard to track to anything else. But then also more importantly, the business people are the ones who are going to have to sign off on uh, the gigantic purchases. Well, I was going to say that I think there is like a deeper like I, I actually believe there's like a white paper often the, the need for like a white paper the way people talk about it just sort of like reveals the ultimate internal bias of almost every company I mean all of us to some degree are guilty of it like there's just this belief that like our our company and our products are so good that absolutely people will um, read our white papers, yeah, right? They, yeah. In fact, we're going to write this 10-page thing, and it's going to be great about our vision, about how important it is. And it, it's, it's sort of just like, if you will, like allows a company to really like buy into that. Like People really care about what we have to say and how important it is. And it's like, no, they don't. I mean, I guess that's really what it comes down to. It's like people are very busy. They do not care. They yeah. don't want to read a five or 10 page document restating a bunch of stuff that they knew before. Like if you truly had something brand new that was incredibly interesting, I would say go to the media, right? The media, <laughs> they'll be really interested in that and <laughs> writing that for you, right? Um, yeah. If you're going to like call, like, should I call it the Wall Street Journal? Guys, you're not going to believe what I just discovered. There's a trend out here called digital transformation. Let me, have you heard of Mark Andreessen? We're going to start with his quote and then we're going to talk about Netflix and Airbnb, right? I mean, just oh get laughed out of the room. You, so you, well, I, I just yeah. think, so, so I guess, and ultimately, I just kind of leave it there, right? It's like, like a company that's really like willing to take that on to be like, you know, this probably us writing this long white paper, you know, I, we don't necessarily believe our customers like care as much about that. Where can we go meet their customers, right? It, yeah. And it's again, it's always a very uncomfortable um, meeting to have. So, so that's why in the end, everyone just writes the white papers. And maybe I'll, I'll leave it on this. Maybe I need to write the first white paper that takes down white papers. That's recursive. That's some Alice in Wonderland stuff. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, you know, closing out, I I love, I love the trope of the, uh, the, the busy executive who's, who's too busy to read anything. It's just like too busy doing what? I mean, I mean, not, not that they're too busy doing what, but like what they're too busy for is fucking bullshit. That's useless. right? Right. And so it's like, it's it's yeah like but then you just keep walking that back and then you say well wait a minute what if we just like took executive out of that sentence and we just said anyone yeah, isn't yeah. everybody too busy for bullshit and then it's like oh wait a minute now we should always start from that um, that immediate thinking like intention but, is really the most important thing to get and like why can't we always be thinking about how to get people's attention in a meaningful way right but again it's always the executive he's so busy or she's so busy doing something it's like okay i've heard the, you know enough let's move on <laughs> yeah, yeah like like i said why are we still doing this <laughs> yeah, yeah there, there was i i there was uh you know i like to read the uh the analyst uh web blog web blogs and there was there was some study from uh i don't know Forrester somewhere you know that I, I love a survey and it was it was to summarize it was something like millennials you know the they they want they want a pitch that is like credible and uh you know focused that's relevant content for them and uh, so you should you should pitch things to millennials that way. And and as you're saying, uh, Brandon, I was thinking like, well, you know, I'm from Generation X and I, I would like relevant, credible content as well. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure those boomers would like that. And if my uh, greatest generation grandfather was still alive, I think he would like that. Now, I don't know if we went back to like, you know, 
the sixth century in, uh, uh, you know, Britain, if they would be interested in that, I'm not sure, but I'm pretty sure like way back when, uh, ev everyone enjoys credible, relevant content. We're all busy. We're all busy avoiding bullshit. I think, I think is, uh, what, what we're going uh, around there now. Now, speaking of bullshit, uh, what's bullshit is that I didn't read, read up on this next topic that I would like Matt Ray to expand on. And uh, that is Matt Ray. What is this Amazon AMI business? Oh, okay. Uh, so, um, uh, um, Corey Quinn, the, uh, um, AWS newsletter guy and, and, uh, you know, the platypus uh, group and, and, and all that stuff, uh, you know, the, the AWS guru that he is, um, kind of theorized, uh, in a tweet that, um, someone should post, uh, like AMIs that have ridiculous usage rates, like, you know, $20,000 an hour, um, just to see if they could get them onto some, you know, corporate, uh, spend where somebody might not notice that their bill went up, you know, 0.2%. And, Almost immediately, people found those AMIs, <laughs> and there are some CentOS images that look very uh, official <clears throat> until you get to their their hourly or monthly rates of you know literally you know twenty thousand um, dollars. And you know if you apparently they they recently added that you know you have to accept the license, but you know people do dumb things and then it's a conversation between mm -hmm. you and your Amazon vendor or, you know, your Amazon uh, billing and, you know, people are taking those down, but it's, it's kind of like all the counterfeits and stuff on, on Amazon. It's, you know, it's a game of whack-a-mole where it's, uh, <clears throat> it's easy enough to throw up more AMIs and publish them. Um, it's harder to source the, the high quality content that you want, I guess. Um, it's kind of, kind of, Kind of nasty. Hmm. It's like a luxury AMI. You can just uh, pay, <laughs> there's pay nothing a lot luxurious more. about it, though. I mean, you know, it, it it could be you know filled with spyware and and Bitcoin mining, and someone will probably accidentally click on it, and that's that's kind of the problem. Uh, lack of quality control. It reminds me a lot of the. Uh, I don't think it happens as much, but still, the uh, Apple, uh, you know iPhone app store, right? It's like oh, yeah. you know, people uh, originally, like, I think you could charge up to $1,000 for an app. So some people put put apps in there, just kind of hoping you would click on it incorrectly. And then the, because uh, there's like really, there's very little recourse once you've bought an app. Uh, and then the same thing, I, I think, um, you know, all these like various games that have like these weird subscriptions that kind of prey on children, like they just kind of like subscribe without knowing. Uh, and so, I mean, I guess that two Apple's credit, I think they, got some parental controls and more things in there, but I don't know. It didn't seem, you know, I, I just, I don't know how many things are on like the marketplace here. So I'm maybe speaking out of turn, but it does seem like you could review this stuff with more scrutiny on the, uh, the cloud marketplaces just cause you wouldn't think the volume necessarily would be, um, as oh, big or at least something, you know, would flag it, right? Like, Hey, if somebody puts something in the marketplace that has like an unusually high billing rate, like, you know, like route that to just like you would do with fraud, right? You just sort of route that to someone to like look it over to make sure it really is providing at least some kind of value to justify that. Um, I don't know, but I don't know. I don't know if that's already in place or this was just somehow got through. It's just, I don't know. It's interesting. Yeah. I mean, there, there's just a tremendous number of, a, there, there really are a lot, a lot of AMIs up there. And some of them have, 
you know, what seem like expensive rates because they're, you know, specialized software that they're delivering, you know, Windows image with some, you know, corporate software pre-built. And mm-hmm. um, so I, yeah, I, I, I don't think it's, it's regulated uh, as far as, as far as I've heard. Um, That's sort of like you know. a, uh, a characteristic of all tech companies is just <laughs> yeah. like skip out on review and, and don't, don't worry so much about that. Of course, we'll, we'll worry about that when it becomes a problem, and it always becomes yeah, a problem. Yeah, that's that's better phrase. Is that that's a mm-hmm. uh, that's a problem for another. Okay, one. so I'm looking at uh, the Sydney um, availability zone has eighty nine thousand five hundred twenty nine available public AMIs. Wow, that's, <laughs> that, that <laughs> is, for every coronavirus. That is almost that's that's almost as many white papers there are that try to tell executives <laughs> about Kubernetes. That's right. Wow. Yeah. I wonder though, but I I think it would be interesting to filter that on how many uh, can you filter on like billable oh, yeah. uh, billable rate like I I don't I don't know maybe it's still a huge number but it would just look like hey if you're gonna put something in at yeah, they, extremely they high billable that, rate yeah they don't put the billable rate on the AMIs as a attribute that you can search on um, mm-hmm. yeah I, I don't know where that starts to pop up um, now you know what they yeah. need to do is when they're making their pods. What is it? You apply selector labels to it. You don't want to use annotations. I don't think that's the correct thing. You want to use a label. Is what, what they need to do there. I've been I've been educating myself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I guess that you got there. Yeah. Well, well I mean, like something easy they could do, right? It's just like just one, make it easy to filter, and then two, right? You would just flag. You don't have to flag all eighty nine thousand, right? I'm sure some of them. Like if there's no cost, you know, I mean, you would hope. I mean, the security side, you know, that's another, that's a separate thing, but just you know. Just searching through, like, hey, does anything in here look really fraudulent? Fraudulent, like that seems like it would be a much smaller set of um, potential AMIs. Yeah, but but Amazon gets a cut of that twenty three thousand dollar, mm. you know, billing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so so you know they they kind of have uh, conflicting interests there. But I mean, you know, these public AMIs, I, I you know, I was doing some security. Uh, you know, profiling for, you know, for, for some, some chef tooling. And I just went through to find old stuff so I could show things that weren't patched. Right. And there's a ton of stuff in here. So there's no, there's no like reaper of AMIs as far as I can tell. Cause I was pulling stuff up from like, you know, 2012, um, you know, the mm-hmm. creation date on these AMIs are listed. So it would be nice if, I don't know, they had some sort of cleaner that went through and, you know, got rid of old stuff at least well this is i mean this is always one of these like you know walking into the door kind of feelings where it's like you know at the same time there's going to be numerous ai presentation machine learning presentations about you know how how you can use it to do fraud detection and teach things like this so again this would seem like the almost like the perfect kind of thing right like okay, yeah, well, they, like they've got their own why can't dish. we yeah yeah like why why not do some machine learning, like how many, I mean, just simple things, like how many people use this and then call us and say, whoa, you know what I mean? Like generate some type of support call, complaining about cost, how many of these things does somebody use for a while and then it doesn't work or report a security problem. Like, you know, all of these things, it it just, you know, at times this is the frustrating thing about, I think, in fairness to all tech companies, not just Amazon, right? It's where it's like, hey, you talk about all this technology, making this better. And then, you know, the classic, like, I can't even sort. I don't know if that's true. I haven't looked at it, so I'm trusting you, Matt, here. Uh, but, like, 
hey, it's it's really hard to even sort on this, much less like you have some sophisticated machine learning that really keeps me out of trouble, right? Or at least just ask me three or four questions before I do anything. It's like, you know, you're choosing well, they, an old AMI do. with a high right. price. Like, are you yeah. sure? You know, and I do think that if there's anything that, you know, we, I know we've talked about this before, the other, you know, the public cloud versus the hybrid cloud. I mean, these are the kinds of things that I do think, you know, this idea of this, you know, billing that can kind of just quickly roll, um, you know, kind of grow out of control. It's like, it is always the kind of thing about like, if you're a CFO, it is one of the reasons I think people ask about, like, it's great to have self-controlled. Like, we put it here. We know what it costs. Like, we know exactly what it costs. There isn't going to be this big bill. Um, so I do think, you know, all the cloud vendors are probably incented just to to make everyone feel more comfortable that I'm not going to have these incredible overage charges um, because, like, they've taken the time to think about it. Because it does become one of those weird FUD things, like, well, this is another reason that you should have it all in your <laughs> own data center. And it's like... You know, yeah. so and it's just like, but if you make it a little bit better, right? Or you just make something simple, like we're never gonna, you know, put just allow me to put some cap, right? Like yeah. anytime I see billing yeah, well, you, that you spikes up, things, like yeah. should just yeah. stop, right? But don't make but, me but go I, in and figure the policy. Like just do it for me. Like every time uh, I go into the Amazon yeah. console and I have to like mess with the identity and access management, I'm like, I mean, it is me. it is brutal. <laughs> it is just a brutal. You know, when they show you all those permissions, I mean, I mean, it's it's almost depressing, right? You're like, yeah, how am yeah. I ever going to figure this out? <laughs> well, uh, but but the, the nice thing is, you know, putting on your your Amazon, um, you know, product manager hat is you have a petri dish here for any security product you want to write, right? You've got your community of users uploading who knows what. Now you can say, well, you know, oh, we've got a new AMI validation tool. We can, you know, we have 89,000 images we can test it against mm. um, and look for things and flag it. And then, you know, when you do your, your launch next year at reInvent, you're like, you know, we've got the AMI, you know, the gold-plated AMI tool, or, you know, I'm sure they'll have, you know, AWS, you know, super inspector or whatever. Super inspect. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, and, and you know, they can take this list and then just add another column to this dashboard where they put, like, a little gold star, right? And, uh, you know, like, oh, I don't want any without the gold star. And then all that old junk kind of drops out. And then, you know, you get Amazon scanning your images for you because, you know, it's... It's a free service provided by them, and it gets you more comfortable. With you can, your, you can your have uh, you can have the the preferred a, AMI preferred the preferred AMI, <laughs> yes. preferred AMI well, and, and they they have the the vendor provided ones. I, it's just when I see things like that that you know CentOS image, I worry about tools like you know like uh, like you know like uh, some of the the Chef or Terraform tools that you know they're like I want CentOS seven. And then it goes off and it's like, I'm going to go get the latest, you know, approved CentOS 7. It's like, what if that regex accidentally picks the wrong one? Mm, you know, that's yeah. what I worry. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm just like too much being too hard today. But, it, you know, all of these things you raise, like, sure, I think it's great that they can do all these things in the future. But like none of these problems seem that hard to have come up with before the meeting. You know what I mean? If we're building this out for the first time, like before we get 89, I mean, this is what I would say, like before we have 89,000 things in here. Let's think through just some of the potential downsides, right? Like, can people filter on price? Like, how are we going to retire old, out-of-date things? Like, if if we're going to allow people to put in really expensive uh, uh, AMIs, like, let's make it really hard for the customer to, like, opt into that accidentally, right? Like, none of this is, like, this is not, you know, it's not right, world-class right. product but management. Like, just some of the basic questions you could ask up front. And so... 
So every time it's always like, oh, it got a little out of control. And it's like, well, I mean, could you have, I would understand if it was something that was very hard to see, but I don't know. You know, some of this stuff is just like, it, it isn't, yeah, but, it's but, not but complicated. You know, you know, like, you know, when you expose, you know, something like this to the public, they're, bug backlog has got to be like 15,000 things, right? And then you as the product manager have to, you know, maintain this, you know, backlog of, you know, what we're going to work on and what order. And some of the stuff is going to keep bubbling around as, you know, the fifth or sixth priority and never get addressed. And then, you know, people look like, well, this isn't making us new money. Uh, we're going to cut this down to, you know, two or three engineers to maintain it, but we don't really need a lot of new development on here. Um, and so that stuff, kind of just perpetually hangs around and, and, you know, in the fifth priority and never gets, you know, bubbled up until, until, you know, somebody like, you know, fairly public points out, Hey, I could accidentally, you know, spend $23,000 an hour. Thanks Amazon. And, you know, right. a hundred. Yeah, no, like, well, this tweeted, is the right? old, uh, what I would call like searchable logs versus, uh, uh, pagination, right? It's like, if you've ever looked, and I've actually been guilty of this of other products where like somebody's like, hey, let's just show like 20 entries at a time, right? And then because it's a really nice UI and then they're like, there's like, I don't know, like 7,000 entries and there's like no way to search and it's just completely unusable <laughs> and then nobody, yes. but like you can never get it fixed, right? You're like, this screen is only good for a very small demo environment and it never works for yes. anything else, right? And then people are yeah. like, well, we why don't we put search on it? It's like, well, we just, you know, we thought about it, but we're doing this other thing. We, uh, we're writing a white paper about our new features that are coming out. Yeah. We just don't have time to fix the search. So, you know, I don't know, maybe, maybe so on paper. Amazon, but it, it does seem like, you know, again, well, like I guess in the case of Amazon here, if you can't even sort, and I'm trusting Matt Ray, so all uh, bad email, go to Matt Ray on this. Uh, if you can't even sort on price, like, it's like, well, you know, what what can we say? That's what, a, that's a brutal, okay. that's a brutal wait, wait, miss. I'm looking. Image attributes, show hide columns. No, there's not a price. So, I mean, it's pretty big I miss, mean, right? You're like, wow. Well, but but the price is also going to fluctuate based off which um, which instance type you bundle it to. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so we see, just kind of keep getting this, into the this the would be a white paper. Cloud. You could make a white paper out of this if you were some sort of uh, cloud financial tracking thing. You could be mm-hmm. like the basics oh. the basics well, of tracking AMI pricing. And, well, no, uh, this is Corey. I, this is where you call Corey, right? He'll figure well, this out for you. So, sounds like he should be sponsoring our podcast. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what, 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 is, what, is, what does that guy do? I just see him like with his uh, big Twitter avatar. I think pricing is one of his big things. Yeah, right? they're, like, they're, trying to like maximize and understand your AWS bill. I think he's got like a whole little practice around that. Oh, yeah. I see. Yeah, so, I see. so uh, the Duckbill Group is uh, what they call themselves, and I, I, it's, I think it's like three or four folks, and uh, you know they, they show up and they're like, you know, hey, let us look at your AWS bill. Here are you know five ways we can save you hundred thousand dollars a month. I see. I see. It's kind of like that guy R. Ray Wang used to like help you negotiate. He probably still does. He used to. He would help you negotiate your uh, your ERP bills. Right here, I'll give you his. Uh, here's here's right from his newsletter. So Corey Quinn, free free little ad here. I help companies address their horrifying AWS bills by both reducing the dollars spent and helping them understanding what they're paying for. So there you go. He has wow. a whole business around it. That's Check like it a white Corey paper Quinn. right there. And uh, he's, uh, I think it's Screaming at the Cloud is his, like, official... That's the podcast, yeah. That's his podcast, so you check it out. Yeah, so, yeah, if you want to, uh, if you want real help, you want people to uh, be able to help you sort on AMI costs, call Corey. 
Yeah. Well, you know, I think I think I want to suggest a business plan for you, uh, Brandon, as one last thing here. <laughs> I was not anticipating talking about white papers and uh, AMI pricing, but that's fine. <laughs> but I think I think yeah, here we are. <laughs> if you want to hire Brandon uh, at, at a fee of, let's say, ten thousand uh, dollars to ask him, should we write this white paper or not? And he gives you a yes or no answer. I think you could call him. And he will be happy to. Uh, he'll give you he'll, he'll give you some some high level consulting about how you could best strategize the existence or not of your white paper, uh, just just by considering. I mean, that would be a great business. I mean, that one I said, but just like just people sent consulting. That sounds good. Consulting, you know, here's how you here's how you could be better. I like that. That's a, like you know it. the the problem with that kind of consulting business is you actually have to do two things. Well, you got to do three things. One, you've got to understand what you're talking about, which is. Uh, uh, you know, <laughs> highly overrated as far as like lifestyles. Uh, and, and two, uh, you have to argue the case, right? Like, here's what you should be doing to improve. But then three, you actually have to spend most of your time arguing that you should be listened to, that you're credible mm. and that your case is done well. And boy, you just spend so much time getting people to believe you instead of just uh, listening to you. No, I think now, I've told the story before on this podcast, but at times I have flirted with some consulting, never really successfully in any meaningful way. But like I have, I have this whole presentation about, hey, you know, it's basically something the net net is like, hey, really companies should spend a lot more time finding product market fit and doing some systematic experiments to figure that out versus you know, spending time doing all this downstream product marketing and white papers and things like that. And I've, you know, so I've just said to people like, this is what I like to do. This is what I think is valuable. I think it would be, you know, really interesting for, um, to work on this kind of stuff. And oftentimes companies don't like devote time and effort to it. They feel like they quote unquote can't do it. Right. So I kind of like gave that pitch to various executives or people that I thought maybe re receptive to it without fail people would very politely hear me out. And a lot of times they would agree. They would even be nodding. They'd be like, yeah. And you're like, you know, that feeling like you feel like you're like, I'm really getting it. Like, like people like you're really uh -huh. feeling the vibe. You're like, this is going great. Like this is going great. And, um, but multiple times, especially with like startup CEOs at the end of it, they'd say, Brandon, they'd be like, that is so true. Like I could not agree more with you. It's like, we want to do a lot of that. But you know, right now what we really need is a white paper. <laughs> and I, I, I'm not making that up. Like that is verbatim. Right. Uh -huh. And I'll just be like, I mean, it was like almost as if, the first whatever, maybe the first 10 or 20 minutes of me talking wasn't even there. And it's like, um, but then that's like really revealing to me. It's like, that's the mentality um, most companies have. Like we have created something so important. People want to read a 10 page paper about it. And you're, I don't think you're ever going to change it, right? You're never going to change that mentality. And some companies will succeed, right? Because almost in spite of themselves, right? And they'll of course have white papers and a lot of companies will fail just because they never got there. They didn't have good uh, value proposition and uh, they'll have white papers too. But in the end, that's what people want. So in the end, the real money is writing the white papers. Yeah, I think that's true. Depressing. Boy, and writing a white paper, <laughs> writing a white paper as a consultant, no good. Because basically it's, you know, you, you got to have a contract about like how many edits you can come back and stuff, which is all like no one cares about that. It's mm -hmm. just like it's back and forth. But it's a proxy. But here's also the thing, right? Because what people really want in the white paper is like, oh, you figured out how to tell the story so that everyone's just going to buy my product. That's yes. really what they're asking for, right? Yeah. And you can't tell them. This is why it's, it is a good consulting job because you can leave. Like you don't have to be stuck with it, right? And then when 
the real answer is like, well, I'm not sure we have a strong value proposition that's certainly not as strong to meet your revenue projections. Like that's really the answer, right? So, but you can't say that. So they believe that if they just keep hiring people to write the white, the white papers, that eventually it'll happen. And if it doesn't happen, right, especially if they're hired as a consultant, they just say, you know, the problem was the message. The message in that last white paper just wasn't really good enough. So what we got to do is get another person either another person inside the company or outside the company to come in and write it again. Right. And like, if, and if this time, this next time, it'll be so much better. I mean, and it just plays out over and over again. Well, right? and, 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 and the flip side of that, of course, is like, if you're not paying for those white papers to be written by those analyst firms, those analyst firms might not mention you. Hmm. Yeah. Well, that's, yeah, without a doubt. I mean, the analyst side, uh, a whole other know, thing, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like, oh, it's, can't we just talk about, you know, Kubernetes or something? <laughs> you know, you know, let, let me briefly on that topic. I don't, I don't know if I really have, well, I've got some small bread talk. There was small uh, bread talk. there, there's a, there's a new grocery store in the neighborhood over in, in, in Ausport. I hope I said that right. Uh, and, uh, you know, they got your trusty Albert Hein, your mysteriously named bio store, which is like a kind of like a sun harvest. If you remember those. Oh yeah, and uh, and uh, and then in this new store opened up called I think Sahan, and uh, I think what it is 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 if you were to imagine, imagine this a small H E B, but instead uh-huh. of instead of Texas being it's a general grocery store, right? You can get your uh, you can get your uh, your Frosted Flakes in there, whatever you want, right? But if you were to take the Texas cultural angle out of this little heb and put a turkish cultural angle in i think that's what they got going on there because there's like there's like five types of baklava in there lots of uh halal meat and everything like and but then there's also just like straight up carcasses hanging in the uh in in the in the butcher area now (laughs) yeah i was about to say sign me up with the baklava and the carcasses not so much but it's boy if you're over here in amsterdam i'm this i think this is a brand that is well known in the netherlands but that is a nice store i love that place now they don't have the uh they don't have the self-service checkout at the albert hein which i think that is one of the best innovations of my lifetime because uh and you know my 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 wife laughed at me when I said this, but I like that because then I don't have to talk with anyone. And she yes. was she was like, "But when you check out, like like, do you actually talk to the people?" And I'm like, "They always ask me if I want a receipt." And she just kind of kept staring at me, and I was like, "I mean, that's talking to me. I I can eliminate that." <laughs> <laughs> so, if I think I think if this if this uh, if this Sahan or whatever it's called, they add self checkout. That's it's uh. You know, it's a home run right there. And so, right, so you're excited about the the Amazon Go grocery store. Yeah, I mean, any chance I can get to not have to talk to people, uh, I think is that's that's worth <laughs> it's it's, uh, it's weight and gold. But uh, I think I was going to bring something else up. Uh, oh yeah, oh yeah, I've been I've been as I was saying reading a lot about uh, about Kubernetes, and like <laughs> I think I think I think maybe five years later I finally get it. It's just like uh, it's just like you completely redefine, as they say, all these primitives. Uh, and you have to go through this, uh, this thing, the, the way of packaging up every single thing, including your application and your load balancers and stuff. And you have to put it in this YAML format and then ask this weird Kubernetes thing or to do it or check in with your GitOps or whatever. And basically it's like, Hey, all you overpriced infrastructure people, 
what if you just disappeared into the background and no one knew about you anymore, except those poor people who have to actually write all the Go code that goes and updates the Cisco router or the F5 thing? <laughs> like somewhere, yes. somewhere, some, some, and, and you, you, your people, your chef people know this a lot better than uh, most people, Matt Ray, but like somewhere there's some poor Morlockian soul who's like, all right. Let's screen scrape that SSH and get this pod installed. Oh, have you been in my my editor as of yesterday? Yeah, and I think I think that's the part that like I would like a lot more discussion on is like like I was reading one book and it kept over and over again using one of these these uh, these trigger phrase trigger means something different nowadays, but it, it's a phrase that if you read white papers or technical books, you should always be on the lookout for a phrase like this. The beautiful thing about, or that is why the beauty of this, and and what what someone means in in the context of Kubernetes or any sort of technical thing when they say the beauty of this is exactly what I just described is like you get to just fill out some YAML thing and call something like you know uh, a liveliness probe to see if it's healthy, and if it's not healthy, Kubernetes will uh, using replica set magic or whatever gobbledygook like reset it for you. And then the beauty is that it's instantly scalable and everything. And then they're like, no one ever mentions the ugly part is someone is screen scraping SSH. And, and like, I think, I think this is, this is the part that I'm always missing is like, I want, I want to, I want to hear a lot more about that screen scraping. Like, uh, <laughs> if, if, if I've got to come, come to my, my talk, <laughs> if, if I, if I've got to like integrate with the CyberArk server from like 2010 to get my certificate, I don't really even know what a certificate does. Like, it's that's also some annoying shit but like you know and i've got to get my certificate so that i can like connect to like do something like is that does the cncf do that for me i don't really know like who's doing that kind of stuff but i i i see why everyone including my current employer and everyone else is obsessed with kubernetes because it's sort of like uh it's gonna like redefine the floor from out under you and all of a yes. sudden, you're running around with like uh, you know metric screwdrivers, and you just switched over to imperial screwdrivers, and then where are you? Next. But Kote, so where where do you come down on this? Okay, now that you're with your newfound uh, knowledge of Kubernetes, like what's the end state? Is the end state more like, yeah, we all just have to like get this thing built, and then we can all forget about it because developers will just go back to like doing some GitHub actions, and they'll just be writing their code, and all this will be taken care of, or like, mm. or do we all need to actually know about all the details here because um even though it makes everything better and all the infrastructure people went away there's still like what you were referring to as screen scraping and other stuff going on that hey everybody better know how to troubleshoot their their pods and their various other config files yeah i mean maybe it'll work this time brandon <laughs> <laughs> i think that's the biggest question it's like and i do think this is where there isn't you know good or bad right there isn't there I don't think there's anybody that we can all say like that really has like this is where we're going, right? It's yeah, it's yeah, more yeah. like it's more like this definitely takes care of a lot of infrastructure issues that we've been having or that we want to get rid of. Yeah, yeah. But I, I'm not sure. Like, I think I think beyond I think, that, I don't know where we're going. I, mean, I, I think I, think I was it's... building some containers on this, you know, around, and I was like, maybe sometimes we should just talk about that. Like, don't even worry about the communities. Like, just. You know, because I've lived through, maybe Matt can talk about this too, like all these people trying to upgrade various operating systems. I'm like, maybe if you just containerize this stuff, like forget even like running with Kubernetes, just get it in like a, a simpler package to maintain. Like yeah. maybe that's enough. Yeah. Right? No, maybe and, just, and, and I think, I think 
I, I think I, I forget the analogy of what you were saying that I was going to uh, call this back to. But yeah, I mean, I, I think making computers, infrastructure, software easier, the the way it, you do is, and I'm sure there's some fancy, maybe it's like, like an S curve where the S goes back in. I mean, this is where the trough of disillusionment is, but like you always way overshoot the, the vision and the hope of optimization. And it's always, it's more than what you started with, but you realize that it's not going to be so groundbreaking. Right. And so, mm-hmm. for example, right, like, uh, uh, I don't know, containers, like initially you're like, oh, my God, this is so much better and so much faster and so much whatever. And the next thing you're like, oh, fuck, I got to manage an operating system. And then I got to make sure that the JVM is set correctly. And then like and next thing you know, I'm installing a twenty thousand dollar an hour AMI. So like <laughs> like there are there are gr- big problems that are solved that make things more productive. But there's kind of like negative Jevons paradox that comes in that it's just like. Now that you freed up all of those resources, you can now, you know, it's almost like you, you used to have two feet and now you have six feet. So you have six feet you can shoot. And so like you, you kind of like, you've kind of widened because you're going to be doing more work. You take on more complicated things and things get ever more complicated. And I think, I mean, I think, I think the, um, you know, despite making fun of the beauty of, I think there really is the the potential beauty of all of that is just having one standard at one. This is another phrase you should be on the lookout for. Just having one, but having a consolidation of how we describe and model and configure, like the I don't even know what phrase to use for this anymore, but like the way I want my shit deployed, right? And which I think has always been a weird, like not exactly uh, done in an industry standard way. Now, of course, I would be remiss if I didn't mention things like Chef that kind of like (laughs) seek to do that out. But like it is like that that seems like a hopeful thing for the Kubernetes world is is truly like I don't like this 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 following thing because I think it's a bunch of like hollow nonsense unless you take the time to explain what it means. But like that notion of creating an API for infrastructure if everyone sort of follows that API and the, um, what's the other part of an API? The the spec? What was all that soap shit where you, it specifies like an XML document? That's a schema. The, the yeah. Schema. Like if you have a schema, right? And this is, this is where like the way I hear the kids talking about Kubernetes and APIs, I think they get, it's a little confusing to me. I'm not going to make judgment on other people, but like there's a big difference between an API and the schema and the, the the data standard that you have between those two things. And I think if we have some standardization in that, that would be an improvement. And then, you know, we'll just have more problems. Like, mm-hmm. in fact, the, the problem that people are emerging, there was a great talk from one of our listeners, uh, the, uh, the, the, he was, the, the Ryan Kitchens going over this. And, uh, you know, it's basically like, oh, now you've got, you know, going back to my foot analogy, uh, you used to have all these problems with like one system. And now with all these huge distributed systems, everything's screwed up. And like you have even more opportunities to inadvertently do things, uh, you know, check in the wrong things, check in. If, if we're allowing developers to uh, use these uh, these APIs and these uh, schemas to specify, to program what the production environment is, and they're checking that in, as developers are like to do, they probably will forget to remove something uh, when they check it in for production. And the mm-hmm. next thing you know, errors happen and you've got to trace that down. So we'll probably have the fourth or fifth generation of APM vendors, which should be great. <laughs> that always generates <laughs> lots of money. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, But, you know, it'll be better than last time. Like when but we... I, do, I, 
was going to say, sometimes I think it's worth going back, though. Like, with all the talk about Kubernetes, I guess I've sort of maybe, like, rediscovered just, like, you know, Matt's world of chef and config management. And just sometimes I, when I'm talking to clients and stuff, I just think, like, let's not talk about it. Let's just go back. Like, can you just build your servers, you know, using all the, what, what is the configure? I don't know, Matt, what are all the, I need to like refresh my memory of like, you know, deterministically just build the server, like configuration over code, you know, the whole like, uh, don't treat your servers like uh, pets, treat them like cattle. Like, like what if we just did that? Like, I almost think like just going back because I just mm. see so much low hanging fruit of, uh, especially all these people that are stuck with like these VMs, like they're just total, I mean, they're absolutely uh, scared to touch, right? Like, oof. We can't touch that VM. Like it's been running for seven years, and like, and you're like, huh, this seems really bad. So, um, so maybe that it's just uh, before everyone goes to Kubernetes, maybe just go see Matt at Chef. Like, there's a lot to be done before <laughs> you even get there, right? You can go, you can get a lot out of uh, the old, the old boring stuff. Now, uh, I think a lot of people have uh, not taken full advantage of. Mm. I mean, the 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 old boring stuff is like. It's like flossing, right? Like people know you need to do it, but when you get into these, you know, companies like, ah, we stopped flossing, you know, we stopped doing things the right way. I mean, you know, the advice doesn't change. Yeah, the tools might change. You know, maybe you use an electric water pick or something, but it's like you still have to put in the work. And most people will take the shortcuts and, you know, the they won't brush their teeth before going to school, you know, whatever. But it Nobody wants to yeah. do things I, I, the I right think, way. <laughs> I, th- I think, I think maybe, maybe to close this out, I think this is this is another phenomena that that I think we we three have all seen, and that I think is is a positive phenomenon. I, I was reading uh, uh, my current business book, which I go pick at every now and then, is uh, like Simple Habits for Complex Times, which is actually better than than it seemed at first. And uh, I forget where. But somewhere they point out that there's some sort of, of course, it's in, you know, some sociology or so, whatever, social studies. What do you call that area that turns out people? Whatever that is. Behavioral. Behavioral economics. Yeah, yeah. There, there's, there's some sort of managerial study that's basically like one, one of the things you notice if you study a lot of like a change improvement is that merely by doing something new, people improve. Like it doesn't really, it's just kind of like the random walk through digital transformation. Like it doesn't really matter exactly what you're doing so long as you're actually doing something. And oftentimes people aren't really doing that much of a thing. So when they move over to doing something in a new way, they're, 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 they start off on their best foot and they try to do things in a more optimal way and they're not kind of slacking. And I think that's the other thing with all the cloud native stuff that I think is there's a huge advantage to be taken care of is like if you're going to be uh, lifting and shifting a replatform or like whatever, you know, writing new stuff over there. It's like you got a fresh brand new way of doing stuff and you're probably going to do it better than whatever your, uh, your existing stuff was. And then in the meantime, the beauty of it will be that like you have a more standardized way of representing all of these things, but you'll still have to like integrate with CyberArk. Like, you know, that's still going to come. <laughs> no, out. we should. I mean, I do think the Docker, you know, all the containers, I mean, Docker Hub is like, I'm always you know, using that. I mean, it's never been easier to just grab some fairly piece of complicated software, just like, you know, just grab it off Docker Hub, like throw it on your machine and like play around with it. I mean, that kind of stuff I love, right? Because, you know, other, back in the old yeah, days, you know, way back where it was like. In a second. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's just so hard to like get your hands on like. Stuff. I mean, you just had to commit to like, wow, I'm gonna have to try to install these packages. So, I mean, that stuff is just, I mean, to me, it's just, you know, 
incredible improvement. So, so maybe that's just when I'm just talking to other clients and customers and stuff. It's just, uh, I'm like, wow, man, there's a lot of stuff you could do before we talk about Kubernetes here. Like yeah. we could probably defer that talk for a little bit. And also just telling us like, Hey, let this Kubernetes thing work out. Cause I'm not sure anyone's totally sure what the end state is, but if you have, you know, all your machines, all your servers, you can uh, build them programmatically and they're in containers. You're going to be in a good spot. No matter what happens, you're going to be better off. Well, this is a good reminder to me. So I'm giving a talk at QCon London on Monday, March 2nd. And uh, I finally sort of got, uh, I got, I got my hands around, you know, something that I think will work, which is good timing. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, I'm remembering, I haven't put this conclusion in the end early on. I'm, I'm like, basically it's sort of like, here's, here's, here's what I think about Kubernetes that like developers and enterprise architects should know about. Cause you know, as listeners to the programs know, my uh, my analysis of what all the thought lords and ladies have told me over the years is developers should not even know what a Kubernetes is. It should be boring and hidden, so they should not be involved in it. So this is my little quixotic presentation about like what it, what does that mean? Uh, and and you're reminding me that like I begin by saying like well you're going to need uh, continuous integration and delivery, so you should check that off. And at the end, I wanted to come back and say like you remember what I mentioned uh, earlier. You probably don't have that, so never mind everything I just said. Go, go do that. <laughs> Which I like it. I'm in. <laughs> yeah. So, and speaking of that, I'll, next week I'll also be at Agile Scotland. That's on Friday, March six. I might be there this uh, this summer as well. And uh, I, I think I'm also going to turn up at. Uh, actually, I'll, I probably will be at DevOps Days Austin, May fourth oh, wow. and fifth. So we'll have to have a a software defined talk, little jamboree. Now I submitted a talk to DevOps Days Austin. People gave me encouraging feedback, but it has not been accepted yet. So oh, we'll see. All right. We'll talk to JJ. We'll talk. There's some talk that we, we could do a little live recording there. Oh, that would be great. If, uh, we, if things go well, um, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll be up there talking in front of an, an audience because there's nothing better for a podcast to be recorded in front of a live audience for everybody yeah. that's listening over can, it. So can can, can I call in? <laughs> yeah, we'll call you in. We'll, we'll Skype you in. We need, we, need to get, we need to get a band or something. Not a whole band, no, but just someone no, to open we don't. up. We don't a little... need a band. No, we, don't. we definitely don't. Oh, no, come on. It's, the, it's, it's Austin. One will just pop up. It's a oh, lot of the world. That's true. Right. And, then, and then also, uh, not only will I be, as, as I'm sure many of you listeners will be at, at uh, KubeCon EU, but we also have a discount code, uh, which if you go to the show notes, it's basically, uh, please write this down, KCEUSDP15. Uh, and so, but if you go to softwaredefinedtalk.com slash 220, you can uh, find that. We also have a, a discount code for DevOps Days Minneapolis, which is way in August. We got ChefCon coming up June first to fourth. Are you going to be there, Matt Ray? My talk was accepted. Finally. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, uh, uh, coronavirus willing, I I will be there. Yeah, yeah, and I'll, also I, I would be remiss if I didn't mention at uh, at KubeCon EU, there's a there's a Tanzu workshop, so you can learn all about like uh, Kubernetes and things uh, if you want to sign up for that. So. Uh, do we have any uh, any feedback or administrative uh, notices that we need to go over, Brandon? Just a couple of quick, hit, quick hits. Uh, I sent some stickers to Todd and his team in uh, Pendleton, Indiana. So thanks a lot for Todd for writing in. Also sent a bunch of stickers to uh, Barry in San Francisco. Um, I don't know. Evidently, something happened to a sticker. So it was, it was a long story. But happy happy to do that. And I'm happy to send anybody on uh, listening stickers. Just email me your um best mailing address to stickers at softwaredefinedtalk.com. I'll be happy to send you stickers anywhere in the world. And uh, we, we mentioned it briefly, but I definitely got to put in the show notes here is uh, Ryan Kitchens, who uh, works at Netflix. He gave a talk. It's called The Meat of It. 
uh, or at least I think that's how he uh, pronounces it. But it was really good. I mean, it's actually a lot of interesting um, things about troubleshooting. He has this whole talk about. I think they enabled uh, like tracing <laughs> on um, some like network thing, and the tracing was like the problem because it increased the load. And like he has a whole thing about how it it got accepted. It's just a really good. I mean, uh, if if you want like case studies, right? You know, we talked about white paper stuff, but if you really want to see someone who's thought about like how to troubleshoot like distributed systems, like he has two or three really good examples. So uh, and he does a real good job uh, in his presentation. So you can check it out. It's on YouTube, uh, and the link will be in the show notes. Yeah, he has he has a, has a good joke about like there was probably a lot of analysis spent on the difference between the four point six and the four point seven performance review rating. Yeah, well, he has like he has a bunch of good stuff in there, so it's it's good. Well, uh, yeah, like I said, if you you know we got Slack channels and all that stuff too. Just go to softwaredefinedtalk.com slash two twenty to find links to that. Now with that, Brandon. What do you what do you want to recommend to people this week? I watched uh, something on Netflix. It's uh, Gringo: The Dangerous Life of John McAfee. And uh, John McAfee, as many people may or may not know, I guess he's pretty much the father of uh, virus um, scanning. So you know, he of course like started McAfee and went on to make a lot of money. And it really touches only briefly on that. But this guy has gone on to live just an insane life, and so. Uh, I knew a little bit about it, but like very eccentric, you know, he moves to um, Belize, I believe it is. And, you know, there's a lot of controversy, he gets involved in lots of crime. Um, it's just, it just, it's definitely not safe for work, by the way, as well. It's definitely, uh, goes a lot of different places. So uh, I don't know, it's maybe just another example of like a tech founder, just, I mean, just kind of going almost crazy. So in, in the end, I think he even like runs for president as uh, the, one of the libertarian candidates. So I find it interesting though. Like I didn't, I knew a little bit of the story, but not the whole thing. So if you're watching, looking for something kind of interesting on your next uh, flight, you know, download uh, The Dangers of John McAfee and uh, you can watch his craziness ensue. Listen, I want to just make a brief appeal to the, the universe on my behalf that like, listen, I promise if you just make me uh, independently wealthy, I will not go crazy. I will just receive from the world <laughs> and I will minimize my impact on, on reality. I won't be one of these nutty people so, who takes so you'll know that crazy. Cote has become independently wealthy when we shut down the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> like don't need this anymore. That's right. That's right. I'll, 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 I'm going to interact with the world Fade through, into the background. Yeah. I'm going to, I'll, I'll interact with the world through a, a series of uh, often not functioning pneumatic tubes and uh, little, little slips of paper. Wouldn't that be great? It's kind of like Brazil, something. I guess. It would be something. How, how, speaking of something, Matt Ray, what do you have to recommend? Uh, so my pick this week is uh, um, we went uh, down to Melbourne and saw the Harry Potter and the Cursed Child uh, play. Um, it's uh, slowly spreading to more places. Um, it's uh, if, if you if you like the Harry Potter books, it's it's quite good. Uh, very high performance. Um, yeah, very high uh, production quality, uh, lots of uh, great effects, and uh, everybody loved it. The only the only kicker is it's uh, two plays, uh, totally in about five hours. So um, <laughs> we we went to the two o'clock and the seven thirty showing, and that's uh, that's putting in the work. So uh, check that wow. out. That that's intense. Wait, wait, yeah, what's, what's what's your position? I go to London a lot. What's your position yeah. on plays derived from pop culture things, if not just remaking movies? Uh, no, I, I'm, I'm, I'm against that. This is, this is all new content. So, so that's, uh, that's, that's cool. 
That's cool. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, I go I go I go through the tube and it's just like endless posters of just like I don't know movies made into plays or musicals. I don't know. I I go back and forth. I often think like, you know what? People want entertainment. What what are you going to do? Right? Like I'm yeah. not I'm not going to tell you that crackers are bullshit just cuz I don't like them. Like people like crackers. <laughs> so, I I don't want to judge. That's that's yeah. uh yeah. Huh. Well, uh I, I, I have one primary recommendation and that is uh we had a little short vacation. We I, I don't know what they call this, but here in here in the Netherlands, uh around this time of year the kids get a week off from school and being as things are when the kids have a week off of school, that means I have a week off of work because I gotta take advantage of doing stuff. So uh over that break I read this book called uh Hild, H I L D. And uh it's hard to tell when you read it in a Kindle, but I think it's like five hundred fifty pages or something, but it's great. I made reference to like 6th century Britain earlier, and that's probably because this book happens in 7th century Britain. And uh, it's, it's uh, I don't know, it's about someone named Hild who uh, ends up having a huge role in all these fun ways and like uh, some of the, the, the kingdom stuff of the time. So it's, uh, it's, a, it's a good, uh, no pun intended, novel approach to that kind of uh, genre, which is really nice. Now also, the, uh, the call for papers for Spring One Platform just opened up. Uh, the 2021. Now, I don't even know off the top of my head when Spring One Platform is. It's sometime in the fall, but you should submit a paper. It's fun. I think it might be in San Francisco. I I don't really know, uh, but submit a paper. I do a lot of stuff as far as uh, selecting talks and and other things. So it's good to have talks that don't suck in a spreadsheet that I'll spend too much time. I'm going to give this one a 4.6 and that one a 4.5. <laughs> um, but it's nice to have things in there. And I don't think I've mentioned, uh, if I have, I haven't mentioned enough that my little, uh, my, my little booklet uh, is out. You can get it for free, of course. It's called The Business Bottleneck. If you go to cote.io slash books or here, you can click through. And, you know, you could put Johnny Legion in. Or if you want to get involved in the <laughs> funnel, you can put in your actual information, whatever you like. But you should check it out. It's, it's about uh, 75 pages or so. O'Reilly calls it a report. Uh, which is, I don't know, not very satisfying of a, of a description. And with that, this has been Software Defined Talk. As mentioned several times, if you go to softwaredefinedtalk.com, you can get the show notes for this episode. You can peruse the back catalog, uh, all sorts of exciting stuff over there. And uh, we'll see everyone next time. Bye-bye. Bye. Can I talk to you for a second? Sure. Great. Come on. You know, Hank, I was just uh, wondering why you say that hey now thing. What do you mean? Well, it's just something that you used on the show, and now you're starting to use it in your personal life, and, and, and it's an affectation of some sort, isn't it? Did you ever say hey now as a, as a kid? No, I don't. I probably didn't. Uh huh. Um, but uh, I, uh, I said uh, hey. Yeah. And I said, uh, now, I right, mean, right, at, sure, at different sure. times, I but I, I, no, I never put them together till later in life. Uh-huh. So, in that sense, it's, it's, uh, it's part of my personality. You know, Hank, this isn't easy for me, but uh, would you mind not doing it on the show anymore? Because, uh, frankly, I'll wait, tell you the wait truth. A are you telling me that when you yeah. do your uh, 
You do, you do this? That yeah. isn't the, the same affectation? That isn't the same as my, hey now! There, you just said it again, and, you know, I asked you not to say it. <laughs> I can't say it off stage either? It doesn't even exist. Use hey now in a sentence, Hank. Uh, hey now, that was real funny. You know what, Hank? It's not even in the dictionary, hey now. Okay, okay, this is, this is how I use hey now in, in a sentence, okay? You say, and of course, my sidekick, Hank. And of course, my sidekick, Hank. Hey now! Hank. That's a sentence. No. Hank, listen. I just prefer you not do it on the show anymore, okay? I just, uh, it gets on my nerves, it gets on the audience's nerves as no, well. Sir. No, yes, sir. No, sir. No. Hank. Look, you're not out there. And believe me, it is, it's very big with the audience. No. And I'm, I'm going to tell you something else. I think it helps make the show work. It's part of our whole interplay on camera. By interplay, you mean the times we're both awake? Hey, now. Just cut down on it. Could you do that, please?